Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Best Comics of 2020 special. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. I am joined today by Zach Quaintance, the leader of Comics Bookcase, writer for Comics Beat, as well as uh, a Kickstarter, successful Kickstarter um, comic this year with uh, with your incredible debut number one issue. So that was awesome. We might have to talk about that at the end of this. Uh, to, to get a little catch up on how things are going there. But Zach, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you doing, Dave? I am doing well. I'm I'm excited to talk about our picks for the best comics of 2020. Now, earlier in the year, you and I got together uh, really kind of like post shutdown and did a very early kind of best of the year so far type thing just because like there was basically it was, you know, immediate quarantine. There was that feeling of like, well, I guess I can catch up on every comic now kind of whereas now by the end of the year that has gone away uh and, and then some i feel like there are still many comics that i suspect would be on my best of 2020 lists that i have not gotten to yet you know it's that in like the just kind of never-ending feeling of like there's so much good stuff to catch up on um and, and i'll talk about some of that as we go but what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about uh three kind of individual categories for favorite comics of 2020 and then we'll go into zach and i alternating through our top five picks uh of the year now i think uh, not to speak for you here but definitely i have many other comics that i would highly recommend many other that i really like uh you and i both have best of the year lists up on our respective websites so we'll include links in the show notes to those as well because cutting to five is uh not easy <laughs> no it's not difficult. yeah so all right so for the sake of of getting through this though we're going to start with let's start with the good stuff in the category so let's start with our picks for favorite single issue of the year zach i'll let you go first what was the best one single comic that you read this year um i had stray bullets uh sunshine and roses number 42 which is actually the uh the long very long awaited finale uh for that that spinoff series Mm -hmm. um and i think that was part of it like part of the reason i ended up liking it so much is because i'd been waiting like 18 months or whatever it was uh between issues and i just um the the reading experience for that one was also fantastic because that that series has just uh been so good i think stray bullets is the greatest uh crime comic of all time and uh it was it was excellent to get that payoff this year now, have you been reading Stray Bullets kind of as it was coming out? Or did you, I, I saw you tweeting about it like you were doing a reread uh, somewhat recently. Was that a recent catch up for you or were you like on board the whole time? No. Um, so I read Stray Bullets in its entirety. Uh, I think I started in February uh, and it it really got me through the first months of the pandemic. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, that I, I was kind of a, I'd read the first volume of, of Stray Bullets a long time ago and I hadn't realized um, the scope of it. Like uh, a lot of the stories in the first, the first volume are, um, can be read self-contained. Like they feel mm -hmm. like uh, in, almost an anthology series and it's, it's not that at all. Um, okay. And then I had friends pushing me, you gotta read this, you gotta read the rest of it. The, the last issue is coming. Um, got to check it out and so i'd started it right before the pandemic and all through march and april that was like my thing really helped with the uh the early anxiety yeah yeah for sure no that is that's definitely on my my mega you know i need to catch up on this someday list because i have not read i think a single issue so that's interesting to hear but for you a satisfying conclusion you dug the final issue 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually, from what I understand, it is it, there will be more stray bullets at some point. Um, sure. There's like because the Sunshine and Roses series is like a divergent storyline, um, and they're going to return to the main book at some point. Uh, who knows how long? But that's something to look forward to as well. Cool, cool, good pick. All right, so for my pick, uh, my favorite single issue. There's definitely like a lot of number ones that compete on this list and this topic, um, like sword number one, just having come out this past week is, is high on my mind. And I absolutely love that debut. Um, but that said, like, I do want to pick something that's a little more unique and functional as a standalone issue. And for me, that was Hedra a 48 page story by Jesse Longeren that came out from image comics. Um, this is a wordless comic, you know, but that I think oftentimes when we see like dialogue free, there's a tendency among some readers, myself included, to think like it's less work or something or like, oh, there's less to this because you can literally just swipe, 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 take in the art. Um, but this is a 48 page story and that is not lost right on on longer. And the producer here, right, like even without dialogue, they're following the art and following the depictions of what is happening tells a unique story. And that's an important thing. I think to remember in comics sometimes when you get caught up, like I know I get caught up reading a lot of older superhero stuff and there is that feeling of just like swipe, swipe, swipe. Okay. What's the, what's the gist of this? This is not a comic to do that with. And it's refreshing to have that. It's also like, it's also really a reflection of what can be done in comics and with art and with story in so many ways, in so many really cool ways. Um, I mean, like telling you what the story is, doesn't do a lot necessarily because like it's a sci-fi comic. Um, you've seen stories like this before, but you have not probably seen them executed in this way, or at least I had not. Artistically, it is really, really brilliant. Uh, it was something I sort of checked out on a whim, and I was really glad I did. It definitely blew me away because, again, like the silent comic is a nearly impossible thing to pull off. I feel like Grant Morrison is good at it. Um, they, they've pulled it off in New X-Men and uh, recently in Klaus, or I guess Claus. <laughs> <laughs> I always want to say it the other way. Yeah, but, me too. Yeah, but Hedra pulls it off and then some. So this was a really cool one. And there is another Jesse Longer comic from this year, Planet Paradise, which I have on my to-read list. I have not actually caught up on that. But that's my pick there. That's a great pick. Uh, I, I like that one a lot as well. And the, the only thing I would add is I really like the, uh, if you're into like print format, that the format, the like oversized, almost like newsprint format to that yeah. book was a really cool thing. Um, if if you're just into physical comics, it kind of adds to it. Well, and I do like that too, because the, obviously like there's a lot of creators and publishers experimenting now with like, what is the value of the print comic beyond just, you know, having a collector's item? Like why, why would you go to the shop and get this in print versus reading digitally or whatever other ways? And uh, yeah, Hedra makes a case for that, right? It is like, it's a, it's better to hold that in your hands. Like that is a better experience yeah. um, to have that massive thing. So, all right, let's go to the next category here best surprise of the year um now you had an interesting pick here i have not read this i'm curious to hear what you have to say uh what was your favorite surprise in comics this year uh my favorite surprise was um the cloven uh book one published by uh fantagraphics um written by garth stein and illustrated by by matthew southworth um who I think he drew Stumptown with uh, with Greg Rucka. That's where I had yeah. previously known his work from. Um, yeah, and this book was not on my radar. Um, sometimes fantagraphic stuff, uh, which I tend to enjoy, can kind of slip. Um, I mean, they don't do promotion in the same way as a lot of the publishers we're used to. So I, 
I saw this one, I checked it out and I, I came away really, really enjoying it. Um, the approach to the artwork was really fantastic. I mean, it's sort of a coming of age, um, almost body horror story. I don't want to give too much away, but there's a little bit about, there's a little bit of the, um, the Warriors movie from the eighties to it, uh, kind of mixed with body horror. And I mean, um, I guess it does kind of feel like a teen superhero story in parts, but it's really not that. Um, and it's just illustrated so well and so surprisingly throughout. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, for something I, I had, hadn't even heard of before I, I picked it up. I, I really was blown away by it. Can't wait for book two. And I, I would recommend it. Um, anyone intrigued by the way i just described it nice nice yeah i feel like fantagraphics is they always uh resurface on your best of you know like year end lists yeah at the time when i'm like oh there are you know like three to four fantagraphics books i have to read that i've never even heard of like inevitably there's always a bunch of those i it, that's the interesting thing about going through and scanning other people's you're in best of two or like, you know, from different perspectives and sources, like NPR has a good book list that has grabbed. And it's like, I, I'm in the weeds of comics and especially big two comics a lot of times where I feel like I know most of what's coming out, you know, and I increasingly feel like, Oh, I'm tapped into like the cool, you know, like non obvious yeah. stuff. But then every year best of lists, I'm like, Oh, there are like 20 books on here that I've like barely heard of, you know, in many cases. So it, it's a fun experience to like, see how much more is out there. Hopefully we can deliver some of that for you listening. I, for my pick for best surprise, this one, I'm going to go with the issue that surprised me the most. It was per a Twitter recommendation I saw from Comfort Food Comics, which is another site. And uh, it was DC's Digital Superman, Man of Tomorrow, issue number 19. Now, this was not a series I was following. I've been pretty not paying a lot of attention to DC's digital first stuff, a little bit with Injustice, or yeah, Injustice here and there, and some of the... Um, the DC stuff, Tom Taylor's writing, you know, the world's end, but man of tomorrow, number 19, it's, it's like a perfect animated series episode, honestly, like just, it's so well done. It's by Dave Wiegals and Jorge Corona. Apologies for mispronunciations there. And uh, basically it's Superman and Batman are having a post justice league battle argument. You know, they're basically like, you know, it's the classic, like different personalities. Why are they friends type of setup? And they're interrupted by evil multiverse doppelgangers of each of them. So you have a bunch of Supermans from the multiverse, evil Superman. You have a bunch of evil Batmans from the multiverse come through, including, you know, like Owlman, right, from um, from Earth 3. And it's just like it's an all-time kind of perfect one and done. They each take on the other. So, like, they get out their, um, their rage at the other, at their friend, by fighting the multi evil multiverse versions of them. And then they come together and team up and you sort of remember why Superman and Batman function well together. So Superman, Man of Tomorrow, number 19, was never an issue I was going to look at. And it's so, so well done. It made me want to check out the rest of this run um, on this digital first series and see like, oh, is this like a stealth, amazing Superman run? You know, because it's something that's digital first. It, the fact that it's digital doesn't mean a lot to me negatively, but the fact that it's not, quote unquote, the Superman book, you know, it's not right. It just doesn't. I just don't give it as much attention, um, and maybe that's a mistake here. Maybe this is because I, I. It's not like I'm hook, line, and sinker in for the Bendis era on soups at this point. So maybe this is where I get my Superman fix going forward. Um, I've definitely dabbled in those digital firsts. Um, I don't. I don't think it's like. I don't know if you could call it a run in the traditional sense. Like they mix up creators and people. I think creators go in and out, and it's kind of a disjointed sure. narrative. But I've had fun with those books. I mean, it's kind of like. 
if you want um, like meat and potatoes takes on these characters, like the animated series would be a good a good yeah. way to talk about it. That's that's what it offers, and they're dirt cheap. I mean, they're like a buck yeah. or something. Like yeah. No, that is appealing. All right, so let's go next to the one negative category we have on here, the most disappointing comic of 2020. Um, now, I think so there are there. This is not to be confused necessarily with the worst comic because that would imply like expectations, you know, for some things that maybe I like. For example, Three Jokers was not it was a series I really didn't enjoy. I did not expect to enjoy it. I have to say, um, but most disappointing. I'm talking about something that I really thought I would dig and I did not. Zach, what was your pick here for most disappointing? Um, I went with crossover. Uh, it's only two issues in so far by um, Donnie Cates and Jeff Shaw, longtime collaborators, and I really enjoyed um, their other work together almost almost uniformly. Yeah. Um, and this this through two issues just is so lost in. Um, insidery meta references that I'm just kind of already checked out. And then it'll kind of like uh, dance with, with trying to say something important with references to like masks um, and people in cages. And it just, it's like, for me, it seems to not exactly have anything that deep to say, but it wants you to think it does. Um, now to be clear, there's 10 issues left in this series. So um, it could all, all turn around. It's still early, but through two issues, I'm I'm pretty disappointed. I have to say. Interesting. Yeah, I I only read the first issue, and this is definitely one of the bigger indie launches of the year. I mean, Donny Cates is is a huge like he's a blockbuster name in comics at this point, right? Like his Venom stuff does incredibly well. He's writing the ongoing Marvel event King and Black, um, and you know, obviously, like most stuff he has touched has done has performed very very well, and a lot of it I've really enjoyed. Like I like God Country a lot. Um, it's been interesting to watch sort of a Tom King-esque turn. I, I talked about this on a, one of the other podcasts I do, My Marvel This Year. But like um, the turn against King and Cates in 2020, that there's a serious backlash against both of these creators. I think in many ways justified where it's kind of like they exploded onto the scene and did really incredible work for probably two, two and a half years. And then now we're kind of at this stage where like, they're kind of hitting the same beats. Maybe they're making the same mistakes. And I, it's kind of this era of like, yeah, but what else do you have to say? And it, obviously it's different. They're different creators, right? Right. Their approaches. Um, Kate's crossover. It just, it, there was a lot, definitely just seeing like comics critic Twitter. There was a lot of hesitancy and, and kind of backlash built into this book coming out, which I'm sure will still do very well. Now, to your point there, I've only read the first issue. Um, I I tend to really like meta references and talking about comics as a medium in an inventive way. I'm not sure this book has that. I'm not sure it's as clever as it thinks it is. Yeah. And then, you know, like you're saying too, with like making these modern parallels between things that are very serious um, issues like uh, like literally the pandemic, but also like immigration and, right. and just general hate and, and oppression of minority groups. I feel like it's making some obvious missteps uh, in the way it's discussing those things that, again, like I'm not, I, I'm learning new things all the time about about like how to be more more open and, and representative of, you know, people's opinions and perspectives. Um, but this book seems like it's kind of just stepping in it left and right. So. Uh, I'll be curious to see if it can progress into something that that hooks us more because there is a lot of talk about like, oh, the big stuff's still coming. Um, so I don't know. I didn't hate it, but I but I hear you on being disappointed by it. 
Yep, I agree with all that. Uh, I think there also I've made that Kate's King sort of trajectory um, comparison, and I think part of it is like you see these guys blow up, and then all of a sudden these tweets start about they're writing this screenplay or they're involved in this Hollywood meeting and this and that, and the overextension just becomes evident. Like with mm. Kate's, like with Redneck, you can kind of pinpoint the exact issue where he just decided, you know what, I don't really care about this comic anymore and moved on. But yeah, yeah but I. I um, do tend to like his work generally and, and have found him to be refreshing. And this book is just not doing it for me. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, my most disappointing comic was another one from creators. I really like uh, that. This one is not doing it for me and it's DC's death metal, uh, dark Knight's death metal, the mega event from Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. I loved metal. I've talked about it constantly. I, their, their event from, I think it was like 2017 to 2018 I have it in like my 100 favorite comics of all time. <laughs> like, wow. I like the event that much. Seriously, I absolutely loved it. In Death Metal, I had those hopes and those expectations. And it's like the total inverse reaction, you know? And it is that thing too of like, potentially there's there's something it says about me, about what I'm looking for from story and different points in my life and all that. But I, I think the, the ambition of like post-metal Scott Snyder his Justice League just never hit for me. It was kind of always at stakes at 100 and just never a buildup or a, a cathartic moment of release that got us there. And Death Metal is that like in the like cranked up. Everything's cranked to 11 intentionally, but it just feels like we never really we were never really on a journey that warranted getting here to this huge, ambitious, like uh, kind of like almost a what if, um, you know, Elseworld style story where like everything is set in this crazy world where the Batman who laughs and this perpetual cosmic entity that Snyder and, and probably Jorge Menes and James Tynion and all of them did work to create. And uh, it's just like, I don't know that it's a mess because the story makes sense. Like I know what's happening in death metal. I just am not invested. And I wish I was, I wish I dug it. I think Greg Capullo's art, like it's not like, like he's doing fun stuff, but I there's just, I don't know if I've just become more cynical over the years or what, but it's like, seeing Harley Quinn riding on a giant hyena running through a battlefield and, and seeing um, Wonder Woman as the, you know, with the chainsaw of truth. Like there's these ideas that I'm like, conceptually, that sounds very fun, uh, but I'm not having fun with this book at all. And I can't totally explain it um, other than to say, like, I don't know, like the X-Men event, Ten of Swords this year did wild fun D&D type stuff that I was hooked into because there was a, a through line in a narrative that I was invested in and death metal is missing that piece of it. And I kind of wonder if that's the main thing for me that I'm just like, I don't know. There's not a DC universe center to this that I care about or think is, is established and I can't get into the event. I don't know. What's your, what's been your death metal reaction or experience? It's uh, I think it's, I think it's hard to do a sequel um, in comics, a sequel event. I don't know if I can think of any off the top of my head that it really worked super well. Um, yeah, especially in such a short, I mean, we just, it feels like metal just ended and we're already right. doing this again. So I think there's kind of diminishing, like you were saying, like isolated in a void, this stuff is all really cool, but there's kind of, um, diminishing returns to it because we've just, it's, there hasn't been a break. Um, so I'm kind of with you on all that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't hit. I'm, I'm very excited. I will say about the inevitable outcome of all this, which is DC Future State coming in January and February, that actually is looking awesome. So I'm I'm intrigued about where the DC universe is coming. It does or going. It does feel like there's a course correction, especially with all the creative teams and like the vision they seem to have around what their universe needs, which is a real shot of 
of fresh blood. So we'll see a future state like one, I think it'll be good, but two, let's see how committed they are to following through with that because that's the big challenge, right? And, is actually saying, let this ride. Yeah. And you know, I think that's part of kind of what has uh, held back death metal a little bit is it's since before the event started, it, there was always this idea that this was um, the end of this was going to transition into something very different for DC overall. So yeah. for me, from the moment the event started, I've just been kind of like, all right, let's get to the end. Like I've been ready for it to end right. from page one to see what what it's all building to. So it really hasn't been about the journey. It's always been about the destination, which makes it tougher to uh, wait month to month to read this thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. But all right, enough about what disappointed us. Let's get to what you're all here for. Uh, top five picks for our favorite comics. Zach, if you want to start first with your number five, we'll go from there. Yeah, um, so I have Year of the Rabbit by, I'm going to mispronounce uh, the cartoonist's name, but it's Tien Viesna, a uh, French Cambodian cartoonist who uh, illustrated his, uh, the true story of his, of his family um, struggling to survive within the, I'm going to mispronounce this as well, the Khmer Rouge regime in, in Cambodia in the 70s. Uh, and what I really liked about this story is it was alternately personal and it felt like... Uh, Ex, like ex, interested in exploring a really kind of undercovered in the West uh, incident in history that's, that was really moving. Um, I felt like I learned a lot and was also inspired um, to study more about the events that surround it, the, the true story of this guy's family, which is actually was moving throughout and, and well told. Um, and so that's, that's my number five. It's, it's um, from Drawn and Quarterly. Uh, I think it came out during the pandemic or something like that, but I read it earlier in the year and really enjoyed it. Awesome pick. Yeah, I need to check that out. I feel like Drawn and Quarterly is just like they don't miss. Like yes. borderline yeah. everything that releases is your end quality. It's pretty remarkable. Uh my number five is let's see, it is the only big two superhero comic I've got on my list here, and it is Hellions. Marvel Comics series, part of the X-Men line. Uh, this book has blown me away um, since it launched this year. I think seven issues so far have come out. It's written by Zeb Wells, art throughout by our Carmen Carnero and Steven Segovia. And basically, you know, so it launched as the premise of like the X-Men Suicide Squad, uh, kind of like Mr. Sinister Suicide Squad specifically. And it, that's a cool concept in and of itself. You've got these various villains and um, or like, you know, former villains and mutants who have checkered pasts, let's say. And they basically they're serving community service in the Krakoa era of X-Men. And where Hellions really I enjoyed it at the start for sure. But where really st I started talking about it in like my favorite superhero book terms was actually during the Ten of Swords event when this book like it's the funniest book I read. I think with any consistency, um, especially now that like sex criminals is done, you know what I mean? And like for a big two comic to be laugh out loud, funny, uh, that's a rare thing. Like not to say like, I'm so jaded <laughs> that I never smile reading these things, but like, I'm actually laughing out loud at a lot of what Zeb Wells is writing in these pages. It is a breath of fresh air in the X-Men, uh, you know, this new X-Men era. And, uh, I've, I've enjoyed the heck out of all seven issues so far for a book that it, it probably launched with the weirdest lineup kind of like premise of anything in Marvel this year. You know, it's like the, the weirdest team. It's Wild Child, it's Psylocke, it's Mr. Sinister, Nanny and Orphan Maker, like these characters that like, you know, going into this, not a lot of people even knew. So Hellions is my number five. It is my favorite 
superhero comic this year. It is my favorite X-Men comic this year, even more so than uh, than my guy Jonathan Hickman written X-Men stuff, which obviously I am quite invested in and love as well. But Hellions, check it out. Yeah. Stellar pick. I love, I'm a big fan of that book as well. Nice. All right, Zach, what is your number four? Uh, my number four is um, Monstrous by Marjorie Liu and, and Sana Takeda and, and Russ Wooden. Um, Monstrous is one of those books, I think it's it's in the 30-some issues at this point. It's one. It's easy to take it for granted. It's been so intricate and so uh, character-driven for so long. And what, what pushed it over the top um, for me this year was this issue that came out in the last couple of weeks. It's kind of a divergent... Um, two issue series they're doing called talk stories where it gets, gets in a little bit into character histories. And I think it, it was um, just an excellent standalone story about a family that, that was really, and that might be a trend in all my picks. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, really emotional family driven story with a little mythology to it that just, I found really, really rewarding for having followed the series for so long. Nice. Um, yeah. But monsters just continues to be, the, the best fantasy comic and, and one of my favorites. Yeah, I love this. I, I remember you talked about this on our earlier conversation uh, earlier in the year about monsters just continuing to be amazing. And it is that thing of long running series getting like not as much attention. Um, you know, it, when your end come time comes because it's more exciting to talk about stuff that is that is fresh and of the moment. Um, but yeah, I think monsters definitely like continues to go mildly underrated by virtue of like not being saga which isn't even out you <laughs> <Yeah>. know <laughs> but but actually being like you know kind of on that level in terms of what Liu and, and Takeda are pulling off there so that that's a book that I perpetually feel like I need to be keeping up with and catching up on so I'm excited to hear more about it uh my number four pick is uh a graphic novel I never would have thought like would be on my even on my radar really this year um and it's chasing the bird and this is uh written and drawn by Dave Chisholm it's from Z2 Comics and in the estate of Charlie Parker, a, a jazz legend that I knew absolutely nothing about, uh, it is a sort of biography of Charlie Parker, this jazz musician who, um, you know, was performing throughout like the 40s, 50s, maybe into the 60s a little bit and uh, is, is a bit underrated. But like, I think, you know, jazz people who are into jazz might know of the character. Certainly you've heard probably some of Charlie Parker's music, whether you realize it or not, for example, like Summertime. Um, but what Dave Chisholm does that is so amazing is it's not just that it's like, a very interesting biography, which it is, but each chapter, and I think he calls them, it's, it's a musical term, sonatas or something like that. Um, each, each segment is broken out into different POV characters and different perspectives. And artistically, it often matches that, right? So he employs a lot of really great comic book art to sell like the magic music, the magic of jazz, essentially, sometimes like literally, you know, these kind of magical explosions and uh, the different POVs give each segment like a perfect break in how the story is told and what we're learning about Charlie Parker as a character. He's the, the, the star Charlie Parker is never a narrator, right? So it's never the story in his words. Cause he's kind of this mysterious elusive figure. He would vanish. He was an addict. Um, you know, he had like, he has demons, right? And it's, it's the story of him from the perspective of other characters, some of whom are like very famous jazz musicians themselves, some of whom are characters you would have never heard of, but like a detective, for example, who get then the story takes on kind of a noirish tone by the end of it. And uh, it's a really amazing sort of performance in in like adaptation by Dave Chisholm and just in how his style shifts in how he sells again, music in a non audio medium, uh, chasing the bird again, like even if you don't 
if you're interested in music, I would say in any capacity, which like who isn't, I feel like chasing the bird is <laughs> worth a read. Um, you don't have to be like a jazz aficionado to dig this, I would say. So that's my record. Yeah, that's a great pick. Uh, Dave has a, I don't know if you know this, Dave has a PhD in music. So he's a, he's a yeah. doc, he's a doctor of music. Um, and, and it really shows in here, it really the, just the level of familiarity with not only the, uh, the musician, but the experience of listening to Parker's music really comes through visually. And I think the, um, yeah, so the deluxe edition, if you check it out, it comes with like vinyls and stuff too of Charlie Parker music. So there's, there's some really cool packages if you do want to like fully invest. But again, I think the comic in and of itself is well worth it. And yeah, to your point, like Dave Chisholm, he is a jazz musician. Like he is a, a really interesting and musician himself. Like he gets, he gets this world. So, all right, let's go to number three picks. Zach, what do you got? Uh, my number three pick is uh, Lazarus Risen um, by Greg Rucka, Michael Lark, Tyler Boss, Santi Arcus, and Simon Boland. Um, Lazarus, I guess it could fit the, the same sort of uh, description as Monstrous, where it's it's been it's been going a while and it's maybe a little uh, taken for granted. But uh, the reason I have it on here this year is because I think it's an obsessively timely story, which is an odd thing to say about a book that's predicated on immortal assassins fighting with swords. But there's also part of the premise is that the there's pandemics sweeping the earth, which is something that's been in the background for three or four years with this book. And yep. the entire world has sort of been carved up by these um, oligarchical families who war with each other constantly. And it's... Uh, it reads a little bit like a uh, worst case scenario for the head, the daily headlines of 2020, um, right. which kind of, I think, gives it added resonance uh, this year. I think that's something that Lazarus has done very well throughout this run, because a lot of like the, the backup letters pages in Lazarus are often Rucka talking about the things he's reading and, and the science and the, the sort of that like futurist vision of where this world might be going. You know, that sort of stuff that gets influenced and pulled into Lazarus as a then fictional narrative. Uh, and yeah, to your point, like the fact that it would be ahead of the curve and sort of predicting and aligning with real world trends is is not shocking by any measure. Um, and then it's, you know, it's a Rucka and, and Lark and, you know, Boss and all them comics. So like, it looks amazing. It's a great, like they know how to craft an amazing story. Yeah, I was not expecting uh, Lazarus to be, I don't know. It, yeah, it's that thing of like, it just feels like because it was a part of sort of the image comics boom. Right, you know, yeah. Like, it's been around like like it's like a dinosaur almost which is crazy it's only a few years you know but um but yeah like the fact that it came out with a four issue mini or, or extension that feels this relevant is is pretty damn cool so yeah lazarus it's probably my favorite rucka non-super stuff i would say um i think actually almost without question it is yeah i think it's I mean, I think it's probably going to end up being his his masterpiece ultimately. Like the scope of it's just so huge, and it feels so uh, well realized from start to finish. And Michael Lark is just an incredible, incredible talent. And they've been working together for twenty some years now. I mean, they have a really good synergy with their work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, great pick. All right, my number three is Old Head by Kyle Starks, and it's got uh, some some work here by Chris Schweizer on the colors. Uh, Old Head was a book that Starks kickstarted this year and it is the story of a um ex-nba player uh he was the uh one time he finished seventh in steals in the nba <laughs> uh, but he was most well known for fighting and and falling out of many many games um and he uh, finds out that his mom 
and basically his family legacy is fighting monsters and vampires and that they live very close to actually the castle uh, where Dracula is housed. That is the premise of Old Head. Uh, if you know Kyle Stark's work from things like Sex Castle, from Assassination, you know he is a hilarious, very funny comic storyteller. And Old Head was kind of the perfect blend of all that for me because it's a hilarious monster hunting action-packed book with lots of basketball. So it yeah. was everything I love. Um, I, I I really dig Stark's like modern, like recent run of stuff like Assassination and this uh, Assassination, which he did with with Erica Henderson. Um, but I was not like I'm not like a huge Sex Castle fan. I don't know, like the the action movie trope stuff doesn't hook me quite the same way. Old Head for me was the time when I was like, oh, this is this is exact, or even like Rock Candy Mountain, like good Rock stuff. Rock Candy Mountain, like yeah, good books, yeah. Um, but Old Head, I was like, this is exactly what I wanted from Starks. And then like, so I had him on the podcast to talk about the book too. And we probably just talked about basketball for like an hour. So he's a huge yeah. basketball fan and that comes through as well. Uh, Old Head is so fun. I love it. He, uh, this is probably tangential about basketball, but all through the playoffs, he, did you see he was doing those uh, kind of, as he was watching the games, he was drawing players. And so it was, yeah. there were, there was some excellent stuff in there. Um, oh yeah. There was one that he said, this is too weird to share. And then he shared it. And it was like Boban holding up a baby Luka Doncic. <laughs> it's one of the funniest things I've seen on comics Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's awesome. He's a huge NBA fan. And uh, yeah, again, it shows like this is this is the work to check out. So Old Head, I think it's like I kind of think you can only get it through his store. Or at least right, that's yeah. why I found it because it was kickstarted. Um, I think his store. What is it? Uh, Rock Candy Mountain, maybe or. That was the name of the book. Something like that. Just look for Kyle Starks and I'm sure you'll find it. I think it's linked on his Twitter. So if you search Kyle Starks on Twitter, you can you can find his store. Perfect. Perfect. All right. You're number two. We're getting close to the top two here. And again, I, I do want to point out, you and I probably have some overlap in terms of tastes and favorites. We did coordinate ahead of time to make sure we had five unique comics to share uh just just to be clear that there's a reflection of of endorsement of some of these works on our behalf so all right what's your number two uh we're going to transition from old head the basketball monster fighting book to a graphic novel that made me cry and that <laughs> one would be uh the magic fish by trung lee nguyen, nguyen. Yeah. um and this is one i read recently uh, just because it, it had started to show up on basically every every year end list i was seeing and it's it definitely deserves it um this is a story about a, a young boy uh, who's, I think he's a first generation uh, son of son of immigrants, Vietnamese immigrants, and uh, he doesn't have the the actual words in in the language to tell his tell his parents um, to come out to his parents essentially. So he he the whole book is him sort of struggling to do this through fairy tales um and and mythology and it so it bounces in and out between this narrative of the young boy and these like um sort of mythological stories that are relevant to what's happening and they're all gorgeous um the artwork uh was this artist was new to me and it reminded me quite a bit of tilly walden's work which is like it's like reading a dream basically and it all just comes together and hits a really high emotional beat at the end between the uh the main character and his mother that just kind of wrecked me and, and made for a really really good cathartic uh, experience in the last few weeks yeah i i think this one was recommended to me um i did an interview with kazu kibuyashi uh writer and creator of amulet um and i asked him if there were book, books he was digging and this one was mentioned and i checked it out shortly thereafter and it's like it's just so obvious that this is going to be like in the canon of 
best graphic novels and books yeah. read for a good long time. You know, like it, it's that feeling like it, it's hard to it's hard to separate like I'm enjoying this in the moment, but will this have longevity, you know, to have that sort of future thinking state and the magic fish to me feels like one again, I think as you're seeing from your description there from the amount of your best, like your and best stuff, it's going to be on that the people are gonna be talking about this book for a while, you know, this is, this is going to keep coming up, I think. Yeah, there's real, I think it has to do with all with how well the mythology is woven in, but there's almost like a timelessness to this one. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's an important story. So yeah, definitely recommend checking out the magic fish. Uh, number two on my list is is not the same, but similarly poignant. I think uh, this is Sloan Leong's Map to the Sun. Oh yeah, uh, this is it, the most visually distinct uh, book on my list. I think uh, the the coloring specifically by Leong in this book is just like off the walls, inventive and fascinating. It's a book where if you actually own like a physical copy. Like if you just hold it up and look at the page, it's like the colors, it's like the rainbow just on the, the what do you call it? Like the actual horizontal view just of the pages, which usually is just, you know, white. You don't think much of it. Um, it's an incredible looking comic. It is also, you know, much to my, obviously like just to my taste about basketball ostensibly. So like that's an immediate hook for me, but that's, it's not about, it's about these five young girls in a, you know, somewhat impoverished high school coming together and forming a women's basketball team when like that is not a thing this school has. Like this is not a school that has women's sports. They certainly don't have a women's basketball team and they kind of come together. And it's really, it's more about their friendship and their bonding in their lives than it is about the actual basketball itself. But that is kind of like the, the framing device that brings them all together. Um, I, this was a book where I was like, I want to, I want to try, you know, different comics that I might not read. Typically, I, I thought like, oh, I'll check out some pages. And then like I read it in one or two sittings and it just it was immediately blown away. So I loved Map to the Sun. Definitely. Right. I think this will be on a lot of best of uh, list this year as well. Again, just because visually it's like you you will not read a comic like this this year. I think there were two comics this year that had coloring that like that alone was like reason enough to put them on best of list. And it was this. And uh, the Blacklight book that um, Jim Rugg did <laughs> <Which I'm laughs> yeah. right now, October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah that's a great pick. Um, I was actually recommending that to someone today as sort of like it's a book that has basketball in it, but it's really about the relationships between these girls. Mm -hmm. um, and I was kind of drawn to it. I did a, like a reading list of, of sports graphic novels because there's been four, like four or five this year about basketball like they just keep yeah. keep coming yeah. uh and and that's why i came across this one and i i loved it as well that's a very good yeah. have, you, have you um have you read the the comic book story basketball by yeah the, fred van yeah yeah i just talked to him uh for the podcast not that long ago and and read that as well and i i kind of asked him i'm like hey it's been like a weirdly good year for basketball comics like what do you what do you think was in the water there and he you know obviously he doesn't know the exact reason but it was interesting just to see like this flurry of part of what he said too was like the prominence of the sport you know in american culture right now like it kind of becoming the american game you know in in many ways um but also just like it's but it also it has a global presence like it stems here where the nba is the biggest thing but basketball has a presence in other countries in a way that like the nfl obviously does not um so it's kind of got that that reach that other sports don't have but all right at risk of making this a, a basketball comics podcast, <laughs> which I do have one more <laughs> to talk about. Uh, what is your number one? Uh, my number one pick for the year is another major uh, shifting shifting of gears here. Um, 
It's Crisis Zone by Simon Hanselman. And it's a comic that he's doled out um, in 10 panels per day, almost every day. He takes a day off every now and again, but not regularly yeah. since March 13th. And by my count now, he's he's up over 250 pages with this thing. And it if you're familiar with his work, it, it stars the same characters that he's been working with for years, um, going back to Mega Hex, the Meg, Mog, and Owl characters. Um, and it's to me, it's number one for me this year because it, it, I think it captures uh, the year better than any other comic that was made this year. Like he sort of made it in real time as things were happening. So it starts right. off where the characters are sort of grappling with the pandemic, whether or not to take it seriously, arguing with their parents about politics. And it just starts to spiral um, into everything else that was going on. At one point, they get a Netflix show that's sort of like a parody of Tiger King. Yeah. Um, and then they all become internet pariahs subsequent to that. Like they dig up dirt on them and it just, uh, covers this like range of beats that could, it, it can be totally, um, raunchy and outrageously hilarious one day and just really sort of, um, hopeless and devastating the next. Um, and I just think logistically it's an incredible feat of cartooning with everything going on to be doing 10 panels a day uh like he is so that's it's my number one pick you can find it all for free on his instagram and it'll be out um next august from fanographics and in, in if you want a copy for yourself i love that that's your number one because it is yeah. this insanely goofy uh thing at times right but with with an emotional undercurrent um i did start checking this out definitely during you kind of you know you mentioned it launched on march 13th so basically like this is this is kind of the pandemic comic for a lot of people, I think, especially Absolutely. on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and it's so easy just to flip through and catch up on. It's it is it does an amazing thing too of like I actually would kind of compare it to like it's always sunny in Philadelphia in terms of its ability to be over the top, but also reflective of like the moment, you know, in ways that a lot of comedy can't get away with. You know, like I, I think there's a question right now about for comics like hey, do you want us to reflect the pandemic? Like, would that be a good thing? Or is that just too stressful for people? But this comic never has that problem. Like, that's just Absolutely. what it was. From Jump, it's just like, yeah, this is this is reflecting all of the beats of this moment, warts and all, uh, and then some, right? So it's ugly. Uh, it's It's got, like, all of the, the problems showing, but it's also, like, very funny more often than not. So it's it's a comic worth checking out. It is strange and funny. And, and like, yeah, give it a look. It's free on Instagram. Yeah, uh, you definitely have to have a certain sense of humor, and I would say maybe not uh, be too easily offended. I mean, it's not really like sensational that way, but there's definitely a lot of uh, sex toys in this comic. <laughs> I mean, that's, for lack of a better way to explain it. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, it is uh, not safe for work. <laughs> yes, yeah, there you go. That was the phrase I was looking for. <laughs> All right, my number one. So my actual number one pick for the year is definitely still. Dragon Hoops, uh, a book we talked about extensively the first time we gathered. That has that has been my number one pick basically since January of this year by Gene Luen Yang. You combine that with the work he's done on Superman Smashes the Clan, which finished up this year. I, I still think 2020 is mostly the, the year of Gene Luen Yang, who's going to be doing some yeah. uh, Batman Superman for DC come March 2021, which I'm super excited about. Um, but because we already talked about Dragon Hoops, I want to talk about something else. So my number one pick is going to be Ice Cream Man which I have basically had as my favorite ongoing comic for the last two years. Uh, Ice Cream Man by W. Maxwell Prince, Martin Morazzo, and uh, Chris O'Halloran. It is absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Every single issue 
is the inventive, like kind of once in a run type of issue that you expect from other books, you know, like, like other books that would be like, Oh, we're going to jump out of our comfort zone and do this like fun bottle episode and, and a creative experiment. That's every issue of ice cream, man. It takes a different framing device to tell this, you know, horror story essentially about sort of a battle between hopelessness and light. Uh, it is absolutely incredible. Uh, it's an anthology, you know, like you don't, you could pick up almost any issue of this and and kind of get what's going on although i mean i would recommend starting with number one and just reading the whole thing it's only 22 issues plus the uh, quarantine comic specials they released this year which were very good in and of themselves uh working with some different collaborators and you had like al ewing step in to do uh what was it um i wanted to say animal collective that's not what it's called what's the game <laughs> um animal, uh, animal crossing that's right Riff. yeah and uh yeah ice cream man it is it knocks me away every time knocks me out every time i pick up an issue i I'm constantly behind because I'm always saving each new issue for like the perfect, like I need half an hour where I have nothing distracting me. The house is quiet. Me. Everybody's out. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I have to have the perfect situation. So I'm always behind. I just read issue 20 actually. So I'm a couple issues behind here. Um, that was the, uh, it, it does frames the comic in forms of parodies of children's stories. And as someone who has read green eggs and ham to a toddler, uh, like a lot recently, it is horrifying, but also very, very funny. Uh, you know, it dark, dark comedy, but it's, but it's comedy nonetheless. So ice cream, man, I think like it's, it will continue to be my favorite comic until it ends. I don't see any way that changes. Yeah. I, ice cream man was one of those when we were talking about not overlapping, that definitely would have been on my list and probably very high. Um, I, it was my favorite comic last year and I, and, uh, well, is, between the quarantine comic stuff they did and and that issue you mentioned with the the Dr. Seuss parody and all that, like what yeah. it's just such a great book, um, so smart, and anyone can pick it up at any time. Like the the anthology um, series makes it relentlessly accessible. I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and I think too, like there's a, it's almost easy to take for granted because they keep doing it. Like how hard it is to think of new like like framing devices for each issue to be like oh this one's an advent calendar this one's um a, a crossword a puzzle <laughs> yeah this one's a, a riff on grant morrison frank quietly action comics uh yeah. which command number 17 which was like straight up one of my favorite issues of the year yeah it's like just the difficulty in thinking all that up but then executing and being like all right how do we actually make a comic like that um, that more or less comes out monthly so like prince and, and morazzo are, are pretty timely with this stuff and so yeah it never feels gimmicky. Like every issue has something poignant um, and deeper to it past the formulism that just drives it. And right. um, it, it just, the reading experience uh, monthly or collected, it's fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. I, I fully agree. I dig it. Uh, people should check out Ice Cream Man and all the books, which I will list here in the show notes. Uh, Zach, thanks for your time and coming on and doing this with me. Um, I know it's a difficult thing. Like I immediately want to start rattling off like 20 other comics. Oh that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that are also really good. Like I read the first two issues of Scarant Hood last night. That's a great book. Yeah. If all four issues out that were out. I, that might be on here too, but, um, but there's obviously there's so much good stuff. Well, you'll have it on lists over at comics bookcase. Uh, where else can and should people find you? I'm on Twitter, uh, Zach Quaintance and also comics bookcase. Um, and Instagram is comics bookcase. All right, cool. And I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at comicbookherald.com. Uh, you can check out, again, here, the Best Comics Ever podcast, and you can check out the My Marvelous Year podcast 
for more from me. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, look for all the books that we're talking about here in the show notes with links as well. And uh, yeah, enjoy the comics.